This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your start for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I'm still hanging in there after our first episode. Yeah. Are, are you depressed yet? I get the feeling we're going to be. Probably. Oh, man. Uh, welcome to Cinema Fix. As always, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher and email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. This is part two of episode number 73 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie 12 Years a Slave. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. If this is your first time listening to the show, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio devoted to in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the film. Uh, Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening right now and go check out part one of this episode on 12 Years a Slave. I'm privileged to introduce a very special guest. He is a freelance writer, and you can find his work appearing in Indie Week, The Nashville Scene, Philadelphia Weekly, uh, RogerEber.com, and a whole lot of other outlets. Craig Lindsay, welcome back to Cinema Fix. Hey, what's going on? How are you doing, Craig? Oh, it's fine. It's coming back uh, on the show to talk about another slave movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's right. We we had you on for Django. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't have me on like like some some frilly foof like about time or anything like that. I mean, hey, I thought that I thought that movie was whack. <laughs> but I could have talked about it. <laughs> when I'm ever I'm needed, it's, it's here's where I'm at to, to talk about. <laughs> oh well, the other I mean. We could have discussed The Best Man Holiday, since that's the other film that, that's the only film that got a wide release this weekend, but I decided to discuss uh, 12 Years a Slave instead. Did you see that? Did you see Best Man Holiday? Did you see that? I saw The Best Man Holiday. I I wrote uh, my review for Movie Mezzanine. That went up yesterday. Actually, I liked Best Man Holiday quite a bit. Did you see it? Yeah, it reminded me how awesome Terrence Howard can be when he's given the right role, because it's just like, it's been so long since I've seen that dude in anything good. Mm Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it, it's it's almost saddening to just see him like he had to come back to the role that uh, made him, uh, you know, kind of made him a breakout uh, player in the first place. To see him go back to that and just like, it's, it's almost like the whole movie is just like Malcolm Lee just, uh, you know, bringing back all these actors to play, uh, to give them roles that are worth their time because, you know, Hollywood certainly, have, certainly has been doing them it for them lately, so... Right. And I'm excited because it looks like uh, The Best Man Holiday might do pretty well at the box office this weekend, which will hopefully mean that we'll be able to see more black actors in leading roles in a wide variety of of films. Did did Monica see it? Did Monica see The Best Man? I did not. Unfortunately, had to catch Blue is the Warmest Color. Oh, oh, the the three hour lesbian movie. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, and drink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually, I did not realize that The Best Man Holiday was a sequel until really? I was watching the movie. Jesus Christ. 
I, I lived overseas uh, for a, oh, a yeah. while, and I was overseas when that movie came out, and I had no idea that that movie existed until I was in was watching Best Man Holiday and was like, oh, I guess there was a movie before this. <laughs> yeah, it it is kind of funny. Like it's just it's um it's just, it, you know because the movie came out in '99. I remember seeing it back then, and it was just just like to see a sequel after all these years. It, it was uh, kind of surprising. Just but I guess like it, coming from Universal, which is you know brings back you know the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise and the American Pie franchise, and just like hey screw it, let's make a Best Man sequel. So just like. Yeah, it's funny because Malcolm D. Lee uh, directed Undercover Brother, which was Mm -hmm. written and created by John Ridley, which goes into the movie we'll be talking about today. (laughs) Yes. See how I segued that shit? It just all fell into place. (laughs) It's all connected. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about 12 Years a Slave. Uh, Before we get started, here's a clip. (laughs) Stop. Stop. Go away. You let yourself be overcome by sorrow, you will drown in it. Have you stopped crying for your children? You make no sounds, but will you ever let them go in your heart? They are past my flesh. Then who is distressed? Do I upset the master and the mistress? Do you care less about my loss than, than their well-being? Master Ford is a decent man. He is a slaver. Under the circumstances. Under the circumstances, he's a slaver. Will you tremble at his boot? No. You luxuriate in his face. I survive. I will not fall into despair. I will offer up my talents to Master Ford. I will keep myself hardy till freedom is opportune. Oh, Ford is your opportunity. You think he does not know that you are more than you suggest. But he does nothing for you. Nothing. You are no better than prized livestock. Call for him. Call. Tell him of your previous circumstances and see what it earns you, Solomon. All right. Well, to get started uh, with our discussion of 12 Years a Slave, I want to start off just by asking you, Craig, what were your overall thoughts on the film? Is this the great film about slavery that we've been waiting for? Um. It, y'all, y'all been waiting for a great film about slavery? Is that a, all the other slave <laughs> the films didn't do it for you? I get the impression a lot of critics are just like, "This is it. This is the the great film about slavery," and, and and this is you know what Hollywood has been so afraid to show for so long. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if that's the case, but but what are your overall impressions? Well, you know, you can't help talking about this movie without talking about. You know, the pouring of praise that has gotten uh, from critics, you know, of course, when it screened at the uh, Toronto and Telluride uh, Film Festivals, that's when the early Oscar buzz started happening, when people were just said that, hey, this is the movie that's uh, going to, you know, just take all the Oscars and everything. You can't help thinking, of course, since uh, the uh, the Critterati, as I call them, <laughs> you know, is just predominantly white. It might involve the uh, entertainment media when they talk about a film such as this. Uh, you know, first, you know, can't help thinking, especially in somebody in my position, that a lot of that is just mostly uh, white guilt. It's mm. just, you know, just mm. it's almost like co- compensating for the fact that just like this film shows slavery in all um, facets, being very in your face in, in everything. So, and people uh, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, so when you're you're when you see a movie like this, you're kind of forced to sh- to see how slavery was 
you know, or just like a representation of slavery during that time. You know, it, it, of course, it, it can be a quite punishing experience for the uh, viewer. It's, it's funny because I, I always think of it as this. Like, we all, we all saw Glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we right. all saw, you know, of course, when, uh, you know, Denzel Washington, you know, ripped off, you know, def- finally ripped off the shirt, you know, took the shirt out and just, like, like stood on, you know, leaned on that, uh, that, uh, that cannon wheel and got uh, beaten, whipped with the backs mm-hmm. uh, for uh, stealing the shoes and everything. And just like you never see him getting whipped, but of course you see the close up of his face when uh you know, of course the tear falls down the eye and everything. He just it just like you just say it's such a, a, a emotional moment and everything. But of course you never see him actually getting uh whipped when into his life. But then you see something like Twelve Years a Slave where you see Chiweta Edgar Four, I hope I pronounced that right, just uh, you know, beaten <laughs> beaten to the point where the like the paddle just breaks on its back and everything, and it's kind of like an unsafe. Like usually, it would you know the film would just cut off at that scene when he just gets beaten. And then of course, like there's several other scenes, you know, a lot of whippings happening, and it's very un- it's unnerving and unsettling. So when people are are presented with that, of course, there's going to be this. I like this. This film shows slavery in all its forms, and it just it might be you know unnerving, but it's something that has to be shown to show how slavery was during that time so that's why i think of it just like it just people are just unnerved by the fact that they're they're finally being shown that you know this is what happened during slavery this is what went down and you should understand that just how son how stand that kind of is is part of this american history right it is kind of reminds me of i mean there just seems to be this overall sense of oh this movie is important you know it kind of reminds me of um something like like Schindler's List or something. Yeah. You know, one of those big event movies that taps into uh, this awful time in history and it wants to depict it in all of its brutality and cruelty. And because of that look uh, at something horrible, there's this feeling that, oh, this is important. This is something that we need to see, that we need to be confronted with. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, did you think that it was a good movie? First of all, and and secondly, is it important? Well, one I yeah, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it's like it's the first Steve McQueen movie that I kind of liked all the way through. <laughs> Hunger, you know, it was kind of like a very stark, distant film. I mean, I liked some of it, but just like I just wasn't really uh, resonating with me as much. And Shame, which uh, is first of all, and I and I don't know if you bring this up, I don't feel sorry for any movie. Yeah, well, with Michael Fassbender's character, I don't feel sorry for any dude whose dick I can see from the back. So for <laughs> for that movie to like make you feel sympathetic toward this guy, even though he's slaining, yeah, I wasn't feeling. It. But um, but you know, with with this film, I think like you know, of course, I think it's the the third time is a charm for this one with with Queen because he also, of course, he was touching on something that happened in American history, and he had this outsider's perspective, so, you know, it was an interesting... And and I think that's why the film resonates so much, because it's not trying to adhere so much with just, like, how, you know, Americans see slavery and not trying to, you know... It is trying to get, like, this whole idea from an outsider's perspective of how slavery was uh, back then. And, I mean, of course, when a movie comes about like that, about, when it talks about slavery, I mean, it can't help but be important, and it can't help to have that um, sense that you know people should see this film 
Yeah, and then and it should because it's one is good, and then it gives an idea of just and it gives a sense of what slavery was and how you know how things were back then. Well, I was going to say along with the outsider's perspective because that's exactly what I got, but I understood it with Solomon's character is that he wasn't in the institution, he wasn't in slavery, he was a free man up in upstate New York, he was safe from all this, and then to be brought in, we were like brought in with him and explained the horrors that take place and what the rules for him are now. So I thought it allowed us, who who aren't familiar or so with the rules and how how history went, to get into that. Yeah, I, I was telling... It's interesting you, you bring up hunger and, and shame, Craig. I actually think 12 Years a Slave, it might be my least favorite Steve McQueen film. Really? <laughs> Yeah, even though I, I liked it, I think it's a, it's a good movie. What's wait? What's the favorite one? Hunger. I, I really right. really loved Hunger. I and I saw Hunger uh, the day before I went to see Twelve Years a Slave. Shame and, and Hunger are both a little bit more artsier than Twelve Years a Slave. I think Twelve Years a Slave is more accessible. Yeah. But you're right. He Steve McQueen is a very distant filmmaker at times. And the thing about Hunger is that even though, yes, it feels a little bit distant from its subject, there is that 10-minute scene in the very middle that's just a conversation between Michael Fassbender's character and the priest. And that scene just makes the movie for me. Yeah. And I think really does a good job of just illustrating the issues involved and the different viewpoints on it. And we, we never quite got anything like that in 12 Years a Slave. And maybe it's just because there's not much to discuss. I mean, obviously, slavery was a terrible, horrible thing. But the closest we get to a scene like that is in the third act of the film when Brad Pitt shows up and has a discussion with Michael Fassbender about slavery. And that scene, it just, it really didn't work for me. And I'm not sure if it was just the dialogue or if it was just because I did not care for Brad Pitt's performance in this film. It's all his fault. It was all his fault. Honestly, he showed up and I was just like, oh, that's Brad Pitt. He looks like he just filmed this right after doing World War Z. Mm. He just did not feel right for the part to me. And I found him very distracting. My issue with his character is how he was kind of used to get Solomon out. Now, I'm not sure how close that is to the actual story. I wonder if that's how really some other guy had to let his friends know to come and get him. Um, Actually, that... that that is an uh, that is actual thing because it happened also. I don't know if you uh, saw the uh, the Gordon Parks movie that that was also based mm-hmm. on his Solomon North's Odyssey, but I mean it's almost kind of like a condensed version of what happens in, in Twelve Years a Slave. But it was made for PBS back in like uh, 1984, and they also had a similar scene like that where Solomon North played in the the Gordon Parks version by Avery Brooks of Spencer for Higher fame. And he's uh, telling it almost exactly the same thing as, uh, to a white carpenter who, uh, you know, sent his uh, sent his letter out or whatever to uh, to the outside and went back to New York. And that's how that's how I got um, out out from uh, Epps Plantation. But I wanted to touch a little bit on what you talk about, Andrew, about um, about how that scene in the middle of Hunger between Fast Banner and Priest, which is a great scene. I noticed with Hunger and Shame, they both have this similar structure where it's just like the viewer itself has this kind of um, lingering presence where he just where the viewer just observing all this thing stuff that's happening, and there's this scene right in the middle that kind of sums up everything because that's what happened in Hunger with the scene of Fast Banner and Priest, and also this uh, in Shame 
when uh, Fastbender has a date with the uh, the uh, black woman, I believe Nicole Beharry, who's who's now on Sleepy Hollow. Apparently, anybody yeah. feeling that show? <laughs> That's a good show, Craig. I'm enjoying. Yeah! <laughs> I did not expect to like that show at all. I saw two epi- episodes, and that sh- the shit's kind of wackadoo for me. I don't know. Maybe I'll give it another shot. Yeah. But um. But yeah, just like what, that, that's the same thing that happened in Shame. I'm starting to wonder that was that the thing with McQueen? He would make these films about um, men who you know are basically imprisoned and enslaved in their own right, like uh, hunger. Mm. I mean, men were in prison, you know, during the uh, the hunger strike, and then in Shame, when Fassbender's character was kind of imprisoned by uh, sex addiction, and then in the middle of it, you know, there's a scene where he's talking to somebody and just like kind of explains everything that goes on. I'll give you that, that 12 Years of Slaves, it, it does seem to be his most uh, conventional film, in a sense, because it, it does right. go about telling the story in a uh, in more conventional fashion. At the same time, there is, like, this sense of, um, you know, of McQueen just, just doing that similar thing, where he just, like, having the viewer kind of, like, um, witness everything that's going on more than getting into it. As much, I mean, there there really isn't that that middle scene where it's just like the the protagonist is explaining just his motives and everything, and just I think that right. was like a different break from what he did with his other films. You're right. I think it is his most conventional film, and while I I did like the movie, I think perhaps maybe it was because it was overhyped. I I did come away feeling slightly disappointed that I didn't just love it. Well, first of all, how do you love a film about slavery? <laughs> Well, right. Well, it's just yeah, like that's it's a just good like, point. That's a good hey, point. two thumbs up on the on the, <laughs> the movie that showed how black people were enslaved behind their will for so long and treated like monkeys. I mean, maybe it's because it was it was overhyped. I mean, all the early reviews, as you mentioned, out of the festivals were just like, oh man, this movie, this is like one of the best movies ever made. And I, I, I it because in some ways it is fairly conventional. Perhaps I, I was slightly disappointed in, in that. I mean, it's certainly a well-made movie, but I came away just trying to think about, and I'm still processing the movie two weeks later, just trying to think, okay, did this movie about slavery really give me anything to reflect on that I didn't already know? And and that's sort of what I'm still processing because the main point of the movie, honestly, I, not to be too reductive, but I came away just feeling like, okay, slavery was bad, you know, and, and we get that, and it's very clearly communicated in the film, and I think that there are a lot of people, especially down here in the South, there are a lot of people that I think really, really need to see how awful it was to fully realize, oh, man, this it's, it's not just this abstract thing that happened. But I came away just kind of wondering, well, Outside of that, is there anything to take away from it? And I, I personally, I, I'm not sure there is. And that was a little bit of a, of a letdown to me. I, I was telling Monica in part one, and, and maybe this isn't fair to levy this criticism at the film, but I was sort of hoping for at least a line of dialogue or something that might communicate how the legacy of slavery still lives on today, you know, to make it a little bit more relevant for modern audiences just because McQueen is such a distant filmmaker I think it might be easy for a lot of people to just watch the film and be like well slavery was awful but it happened back then and it's a thing of the past and doesn't really matter anymore when it does maybe that's not a fair criticism but but what are your thoughts on on that well I mean 
you know, is, is one of those people who like it when, you know, films, uh, you know, don't outright tell you everything, even though, you know, that can be you know, mm-hmm. kind of a slippery slope in itself. I feel that the movie uh, does a good job in explaining how kind of, you know, institutional, institutionalized racism right. is kind of built, you know, embedded in this country. I mean, kind of like the thing that kind of started slavery in the first place. To, I mean, it's still something that is embedded in, in our country today. It's just like people are racist and they don't know it unless you point it out to them. Hey, mm-hmm. owning black people is wrong, and maybe it's like you have to, you should, you know, not do that. And then, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when I wrote the review on Twelve Years a Slave, kind of like they kind of point out how much, especially back then, white people just assumed this was how things happened. It's like you would, mm-hmm. you would, you would, you would buy black people, and then make them work on your plantation, and then and, and, and be like this economic backbone of society, just slavery and just and all the the, the, the you know, crops and, and shares, you know, cotton and, and whatnot, and just like being a part of this you know economic fabric uh, of the country, you know, they just figured that's how it was. I mean, I think I think that's how you 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 watch that in the movie, especially in the way. That a lot of uh, white characters are portrayed, They're like they kind of really have no sense. Like from uh, from Benedict Cumberbatch's character, who's like the most sympathetic plantation owner, to Michael Fassbender, who's the least sympathetic plantation owner, they just feel this is just how things are, and I feel that like it it really touches upon how even today people have this sense that you know racism is around, but you know just until it's pointed out, they don't you know people don't know. Just like it's just been embedded in. In our country, in a fa- you know foundation so long that just like people don't have an idea of what mm-hmm. constitutes as racist unless somebody just says, "Hey, that's racist." And I think that's kind of what that film touches upon. It, it, it kind of reminds you of what's out there. And well, I mean, we're still, we're, hey, you know that you know we we're still living in the age where um, Obama's the president, Jay Z's on the cover of Vanity Fair, white girls are twerking like crazy on Vine, but we still have guys like Don Yelton. Who's uh going on the Daily Show talking about how you know just he put a, a picture of Obama as a witch doctor on Facebook and you know he says you know he's been accused right. of being a bigot and everything and so racism is still a a deep rooted thing that needs to be uh, discussed and dissected and, and just because because it, it's because it is a part of our nation's history mm-hmm. more than anything just the movie just explains how you know racism is part of our society because it's been here for so long and it's still a part of our society and we need to put more focus on it I, I i definitely agree with you there and i think the film does really fully communicate just what that type of systemic dehumanization looks yeah. like my concern is just that certain segments of the population won't make that leap from it was like that back then, and it's still like that today to a certain extent. Remember when I t- what I told you the last time I was here? <laughs> Those people are idiots. <laughs> you know, just move on to just like you know, just concentrate on you know other things, other people, and just like concentrate to what's what you take from the movie, and just like hey, the, a lot of the movies out there, and people are getting it. I think that matters more than like whether or not some other people may not get it. That's fair. Um, just getting into this whole idea of how the film depicts the system of racism, what it really comes down to, and I, I think the film just does a really great job of communicating that what it all boiled down to was that 
human beings were treated as property. Yeah. And that's it. That word property just keeps getting thrown around constantly in the film, especially by Michael Fassbender's character. Like, this is my property. Yeah. And, of course, back when the U.S. was first founded, property was, like, one of the main rights that people latched onto yeah. and, and just property rights and all about that. And I think the film does a good job of communicating how once you view people as property, the rest of it just stems rather naturally and to a certain extent logically from that belief. Mm. Because if it's your property, you could do whatever you want with it. Yeah. And the, the, there's a line that uh, Paul Giamatti's character says, and this is, this is a little on the nose, but I, I like the line where he basically says, uh, my sentimentality only extends the width of a coin. Yeah. And that's pretty much the the, the movie and, and slavery to a certain extent in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, it's it's just all about property and money and what can I get for my investment. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I do think that the film does a really, really good job of just driving that home. Well, Mo- well Monica, what did you... Uh... Yeah, chime in here, see if you, uh, what you get from the whole thing. Right. What, what did you think of Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Monica? What do you think of Sherlock? Oh, Craig knows me too well. <laughs> oh, yeah, ladies love Sherlock, goddammit. Oh, I love Sherlock, too. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I kind of pointed it out in the first part is that I thought McQueen used his example as a sort of, like, how systemic this all was. That even though... At his core, he might have been a good guy. Like, he really tried to keep the family together. At the end, he's still a piece of the machinery. He still has, he still benefits from the system of oppression. So he upholds it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't throw it outright like Brad Pitt's character does, who say, This is terrible. This is an abomination. Get rid of it. Um, and obviously, uh, Michael Fassbender's character benefits beyond it he abuses the the system and he abuses the slaves that he's bought and Benedict Cumberbatch's character shows kind of like how the good people can be in the system still or quote-unquote like the good people he's still a person with a humanity left and then to Mm -hmm. get rid of the myth of like the Uncle Tom good slave master he introduces Michael Fassbender to make sure you know that this is an abusive system I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, okay. Monica, um, because, and I've read other critics sort of say what you're saying, which is that Benedict Cumberbatch is basically a good guy, but he's a cog in the machine. I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch is a good guy. I, I, I really don't. And I, I think this movie, even though he's a much more sympathetic slave master than Michael Fassbender's character, I don't think he's a good guy. Because, first of all, we're introduced to him when he's uh, buying mm-hmm. Solomon and Eliza, and he has a chance to buy Eliza's children as well, and he doesn't. And the other guy makes an offer, and I found myself thinking, okay, well, even if you were part of this system, this horrible dehumanizing system, if you really recognized that these were human beings and you wanted to, to keep them together, at least just to be the quote-unquote mm-hmm. nice guy, he, he could have jumped in and bought the children as He well. tries. Paul Giamatti's yeah. character stops him and says yeah. that this kid is worth more than what you can afford. Uh, I guess. Yeah, so he blocks him from buying because he really tries. I mean, yeah, someone had pointed out to me, well, he could have just left her there. And I'm like, and then the thing is, we would have lost that storyline with Eliza. I, I mean, I get the feeling from Paul Giamatti's character that she's going to be ripped apart from her kids anyways. I don't know. It doesn't justify what he does, but I kind of saw where, or at least what I thought McQueen was showing was that 
this was a person who still had a heart of sorts. He tries to be nice to the people that he buys instead of abuse them. Well, right. He doesn't abuse them, but what I took away from the film was just that people were socialized yes. into this system so much that even if he's a nice guy, he's not a good person, you know, and there's there's several, there's at least two montages mm-hmm. of, they, they repeat it twice, one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and then later with Michael Fassbender's character where they're preaching from the Bible. I think mm-hmm. they might even do it twice with, with Benedict Cumberbatch's character where he's preaching, he's giving a sermon and at one point in the background, they're playing the the song over top of it. And then later on, he's preaching and, you, and all you can hear is Eliza crying. And he just ignores it. You know, he just keeps continuing on with his mm-hmm. sermon. And it seemed to me there was this conscious decision to ignore that. Just mm-hmm. to not allow himself to really recognize the evil of what's happening. Opposed to his wife, who was like, I can't be around this sadness. Get rid of her. Yeah. Like, she wasn't even going to allow that behavior around her. She wasn't going to let her mourn her children, the loss of her kids. But his character, too, he just, it seemed like he didn't want to, he wasn't willing to fully recognize the true evil of what was happening. And then later on, when he has to send Solomon away Mm -hmm. because of Paul Dano's character, uh, Tibbetts, Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, well, if you really cared about Solomon, just get rid of Tibbetts. He would have come back for revenge. And no one would have persecuted him because in the eyes of the law, it would have been that he was wronged by a black man. I, I just felt like there was they didn't really show him making any sort of an effort to dissuade Tibbetts. He doesn't treat Tibbetts as the problem, Yeah. really, at the end of the day. He, he just... He sends Solomon away to Michael Fassbender. And so I just came away feeling like, yeah, Cumberbatch might be nicer, but he's still a bad guy because he's part of this system. Well, that's slavery, man. It's just, <laughs> that's like everybody. You know, it's kind of funny. Like we're talking about, like make me think about, uh, you know, believe believe it or not, makes me think about Margin Call, where it's just like, you know, try to that movie paid a sympathetic view of a lot of people involved in, you know, of course, you know the uh, the global financial crisis in this particular firm, and you know and a lot of mm-hmm. people, a lot of those people, you know, as, as they showed in that movie, they were quite sympathetic. They were, you know, they were basically, you know, decent people with with, with morals and soul and everything. But at the end, but at the end of the day, they're part of a business that's destroying the country and destroying people and just and destroying everything around them. And that's the same thing with this movie because like everybody, anybody who's involved. In slavery, despite being somewhat sympathetic or just completely dastardly, they're they're part of an evil operation. Mm-hmm. So, and they and once again, they have no idea. Just like this, just this how business rolls. I mean, when somebody you know when somebody gets fired from from a job from wherever job you work at, I mean, not supposed to really you know think about that, but just like keep on working. So that's how I mean that's kind of like how. That that this movie shows how just no matter what happens, like as the the, the mother gets taken away for crying too much and then and everything, just, and as Solomon uh, gets moved over to pl- the S plantation, and and just you know, think, and even at the end when you know, spoiler alert, Solomon leaves the plantation. I mean, slavery goes on, mm-hmm. right? Even as he as he moved on, even how he eventually did get reunited with his family and went back to New York. You know, slavery was still a thing that went on. People kept working. I mean, mm-hmm. and so, 
And I think that's like the one con- the constant thing throughout the movie. Like no matter like the, you, there'll be scenes where people getting whipped in the background, or when Solomon was being hanged and everyone was just going about their business. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just like this is a, this is an ongoing thing. There's this ongoing movement. This this uh, this business. This, this cancerous business that that was kind of you know part of uh, the 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 American economic system and just it kept going no matter what happened. Right, right. I think the movie does a really, really good job of communicating that. I'm, I'm just saying I, I disagree a little bit with, with you, Monica, and, and other critics that say, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch was a good guy. I think a lot of that is Sherlock love. I really do. Yeah, like, I, no. I'll fully cop to that. I'll fully, no, uh, yeah. Sherlock being a slave driver and everything. <laughs> Full pardon because of adorable hair. I think the movie just does a good job of communicating that you can be a nice person, but still kind of evil deep down if you're part of this system. Yes. Well, you said it, too. It's it's the socialization of this normal, of this norm. Well, I mean, as I was saying, like, evil and you don't even know it. You just think this is how yeah. things go. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like you can, you can right. go, like I said, this was just how things happened back then. Had no idea. And what the whole culture it was, was like it was, it. it was a moral right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then they bring it in, like, when they're reading from the Bible, it's also, they use the verses about slavery to justify what they're mm-hmm. doing. So they get their religion involved in it, too. Yeah, I yeah. thought the depiction of religion was really interesting in this film because you've got the slave masters uh, using it as justification for what they're doing, but then you also have scenes like where Solomon starts to sing the spiritual, where you can see that religion is part of what helps get the slaves through day-to-day life, you know, and, and provides them something to hold on to. And I thought that that was really well done. I, I, I'm still not sure. I, I feel like the film is overall pretty cynical about religion. But thankfully, it, it doesn't just depict religion as, oh, religion was bad. It was used as justification for this. Mm-hmm. Craig, did, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, religion, I mean, it's funny, like we were talking about uh, the best man holiday earlier uh, mm-hmm. in the conversation. And uh, by the way, Monica, you need to see it. All right. Need to go to the Boston Common and check out uh, <laughs> best man holiday when you can. Look out for the rats. Yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> I mean, movies, especially yeah, in that movie, uh, they, they seem to have this sense of religion. Now. It can be a conflicting thing, like a thing that could... Uh, you know, they mm-hmm. save you, and at the same time, thing you have to question. You know how you know things are. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it is kind of like this interesting uh, subject where just like a lot of people follow faith and just see it as kind of like this guide to salvation. But for there are some people who uh, you know feel that you need you kind of need more in your life, more think more simply and pragmatically, not just rely on a higher power. And that's and that's mm-hmm. what the best man holiday does. And I think that the same thing kind of does. To to effect in uh, in twelve years a slave, where of course like you know Epps uh, Fastbender's character and Benedict Cumberbatch's character, they are read from scripture and they believe this is how things should be because it says so in the in the uh, good book. It's almost like this commentary on how people still kind of see uh, religion today, where just like they believe that just because it is written that that should be you know the law and just like you know mm-hmm. not in course you know we not 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 allowed to question. You know the law, but at the same time, when he's talking about um, how uh, you know Solomon's character was uh, singing along in the uh, you know spiritual and everything, and just like mm-hmm. it, it is this this uh, you know, and, and of course when he was saying it, felt like kind of like this uh, feeling that he had like this this um, release, if you will, that is something that that was something that he needed to bring out because he's both like you know angry and confused 
and saddened by everything that's went on and just like this this release that happened. So like, you know, religion, especially in this movie, it it, it, just, it just several different things that are going on when it comes to a religion. Just like you'd be seeing one way, but seeing another is just trying to find the right words for everything. But yes, like it just religion is 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 not seen just one different in in one certain way. Right, and that that moment when Solomon finally starts singing. I almost viewed it as almost kind of like an acceptance, like, okay, I can't deny it anymore. I'm a slave. This is what has happened to me. I'm just like all these other slaves. I can no longer say that, oh, because I'm educated, because I once was free, I'm now somehow different from everybody else. And and, and that scene, it just seemed to me like Solomon was accepting who he was now in this circumstance. I think more than anything, it was more like he just realizing what he's in and what has became of him, and just like he's basically in, officially in this struggle with all. Because like it wasn't just him; it was just like a, like all the slaves all hanging around, you know, around saying spiritual around his grave, and so just like he realizes that he is a part of this struggle, and I think that kind of leads into just like course as it goes on in the movie where he just like even though he leaves. Uh, the plantation and gets reunited with his family, just like, of course, the postscript where he was like a major leader on the abolitionist movement. And so just like it, just he realized at that point, it's not just him going through this. It's just like, it's just something right. that he's involved with uh, so many other people who are not only there at the plantation with him, but all over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, one, one question I want to pose to both of you is just about the brutality on display in this film uh, because Steve McQueen, as we've talked about, all of his movies are about suffering. And I think you could argue that in hunger and shame, because those movies were so artsy to a certain extent, because they were so just impeccably crafted, they turned suffering into almost a thing of beauty. And I'm wondering, like, do you think 12 Years a Slave does the same thing? where it almost makes the suffering, because it's it's so well shot, does it make the suffering beautiful? And if so, is that a bad thing? I, I think that it's not as much of a problem here as it was in his previous I was films. I say, it didn't look as glamorized as it does mm-hmm. in Shame or so. Right. It's actually, it, I mean, it's supposed to be pretty harrowing and it's supposed to be gritty. Right. And I think that's part of the effect that people walk away with. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Craig, on just how he depicted all of the suffering? I just, I just kind of feel that, uh, you know, in, in looking back in the films that he's done, I mean, I don't know how much is how much beauty he made from suffering. I mean, if anything, he made it um, at least look uh, photogenic, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this case, uh, the brutality, I don't think the brutality that's on display is supposed to be uh, beautiful in any sense. I mean, if anything, uh, mm-hmm. just when... McQueen photographs everything around the, the just the environment. There is this uh, poetic sense, you know, it's almost this uh, tranquility amongst the terror, mm-hmm. or the other way around, terror amongst the tranquility. And I feel that McQueen uh, captured the ambiance of uh, of that whole environment where it was a place of wonder, but at the same time, uh, there 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 was a lot of brutality that was going on within. I think I think it was more of just him just 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 putting a you know putting a focus on the brutality that was going on and not making it as 
well photographed, even though it was. I mean, just like the the big uh, climactic scene. It's pretty face dead on, I think. Like for a lot of the scenes that I, yeah. I remember, it's just like it doesn't like you you mentioned earlier. Like they don't cut away or they don't show like a close up of the face instead of showing the actual hitting. Or um, I'm thinking when I think her name's Patsy when her name her her yeah, back Patsy. actually. Yeah, when her back rips open, could hear yeah, a whole right. ripple through the audience, like. <gasps> but you know, he doesn't cut away, and he's putting he's putting the camera like clearly. That's the focus, and it's not like like in the dark. It's not like at a cool Dutch angle or anything like that. It's there, right? And and overall, I I, th- I think he made the right decision in terms of how to approach it aesthetically. My question is just, is it too beautiful? Because if you think of it just about how like how different directors and and. And, and their aesthetic, you know, someone like Paul Greengrass or Michael Mann, their slavery film would look completely different from this slavery film. I was going to say, how much grittier or dirtier do you want it? I love how you point out Paul Greengrass. And you, you did this, I mean, you, you have this thing where you're just like wondering, what would the slavery movie look like if somebody else directed it? It would look like somebody else's slavery movie. I think <laughs> well, in this well, case, well, right? But we'll see. But I'm just saying, like in terms of when, when you're dealing with a with such a serious topic like slavery and, and 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 so much brutality, I guess what I'm asking is, is there a quote unquote better way to approach it aesthetically than another way? And maybe there there isn't. I just came away from the movie thinking about it, just kind of thinking about, okay, well, it is a very well shot film. Is that to the film's benefit? Is that extra distancing for the audience? What are the pros and cons of that? You know. Since when has a well-shot film ever been a thing? <laughs> well, and Monica, when, you, when she was mentioning, like I said, like I was about to mention the climax scene where you mentioned where uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character, uh, Patsy, was being whipped by Solomon at the request of uh, Epps. And that, I mean, that whole scene, I mean, you could tell that, um, you know, it wasn't completely shot in one take, but it was just like, it was, it was give the emphasis of a of like this 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 uh one shot wraparound that was just like it was care it was getting every perspective in that one scene mm-hmm. and so it, it just i think it i think in more of just figuring out just that whole thing where it's just where as you were talking my andrew like would it be is this just something i guess what i'm asking is there a more quote-unquote like moral way or appropriate way to what what is the the quote-unquote right way to film a subject like slavery is there a right way well it's it's well that's the thing when you mention you know got the green grass and man i mean just like we don't know what kind of slavery movie they'll make until they make it and i'm guessing with green grass mm-hmm. it'll be very shaky cam and with man right. uh it will be shot on digital and it'll <laughs> take place usually at night and right. just and all and you know and for some reason there'll be uh, wild dogs running around, but it's just you know I mean it's it's all a you know, different perspective. I mean because like Steve McQueen, I like I saying like we're saying Steve McQueen has a sense of being um, more tactical and um, more of a sense of uh, I would say you know you get getting like a detached perspective, but at the same time getting a a kind of humanist aspect to it, and mm-hmm. and plus, uh, just he is like I said, from an outsider, so you get so he has nothing to lose in a sense if he if he makes a slavery movie, and it just like depends on who is making the film. I mean, if like I we, we I was talking about Gordon Parsons last time, and his and and his film is a lot more um a lot more conventional, and it was a TV movie, 
uh, you know, was, you know, get, got a lot of um, TV movie performances coming out of it, and it's very, very prosaic. If there was a, ever a, a TV movie about slavery, it was that one. But, you know, I mm-hmm. think uh, just terms of there's a right way to make a slavery movie i think i think what you what you're what you're worrying about is whether or not could there be a slavery movie that wouldn't be offensive to the point where people would talk about uh oh this is this you know this is a very bad representation a misrepresentation of slavery mm-hmm. and i mean and you know first of all after django like you know everything's up for grabs everything's off the table now just like you can do whatever the fuck you want <laughs> with slaves in a movie, <laughs> now that Tarantino put his two cents in, and almost in a way, McQueen kind of reminds us, yeah, you have to have this sense of uh, respectability or whatnot if you really do want to portray, mm-hmm. you know, how slavery was in this country. So, I mean, once again, it just all depends on who's presenting the film, and just you know, some people may do it in their own distinctive style. Some people may, you know, try to make it a bit more conventional. But it just depends on who's doing it. Right. Um, and, and just getting to that idea of different perspectives and different styles and and, and, and how people approach certain topics. I, I was telling Monica in part one, even though I liked uh, 12 Years a Slave overall, I think I'm more excited by the prospect of future movies about slavery in the sense that now that this movie and Django have come out so close to each other, it seems like Hollywood is finally starting to, to be willing to make movies about slavery and, and set in these times. And I would be interested to see what would a Paul Greengrass take, you know, on slavery look like? What would a Terrence Malick take on slavery oh, look like? You know, just, <laughs> yeah, you know, wow. just, just I, I, I'm excited <laughs> about... It'd be, it'd be everybody's that, internal maybe, monologue... And it'd be two hours of people just staring in Somebody the, the spinning, fields. Someone spinning in the fields. Oh, yeah. Right, right. It, it, you know, be, because you, as we've mentioned before, Craig, because 12 Years a Slave does feel somewhat conventional, especially compared to McQueen's other work, I find myself more excited about what the future could bring and, and the variety of uh, stylistic approaches to the subject that, that we could see now that... McQueen and Tarantino have kind of opened the door for Hollywood to start taking another look at, at slavery and be willing to finance movies about slavery. Here's the problem with uh, movies about slavery. Not a lot of repeat business. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a theater here in Raleigh, and, and he's playing 12 Years a Slave on his, only, on his only theater screen. And he said, and I just asked him, how's the movie doing? And he says it's doing great, but it's like not it's it's a slavery movie, so don't expect a lot of people to keep coming back to see it. It's not best exotic Marigold Hotel for Christ's sake. And so mm-hmm. I mean I mean on one hand, I mean you can always expect, you know, I don't know if, if this means that there will be uh more slavery movies. And I mean I mean I think I was uh, I, I was listening to uh Steve McQueen uh, talk to Elvis Mitchell on the treatment earlier this week, and he was talking mm-hmm. about how nobody's uh Bothered to to make a movie about uh, Harriet Tubman and the uh, Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. There's a great story out of that, and but nobody's bothered to to make it because you know it's a slavery movie, and I don't think it you know it's not going to make Hobbit money, right? Or or who was the guy? I, I I always forget his name. I'm terrible with history. The guy that led the uh, rebellion, the slave rebellion. Nat Turner. Nat Turner or Christmas Addicts. They could two people, right. two people that could be 
you know, make a movie out of it, but I don't know, just like... I'd be excited to see more movies set in this time dealing with the issue of slavery. Well, here's my thing, is that black history is not limited to just the slave era, oh. so... Right. And especially not just the American slave era. It's also, you have everyone in the Caribbean, and you have in South America, and things like that. Well, right. I'm just saying it seems like for a long time, Hollywood's been reluctant to make movies about slavery. And now that Tarantino and McQueen have done it, I'm I'm hoping that now other directors will have the freedom that if they want, they could now tell some of those stories. Well, there's often a lot of worry of whether or not, you know, like you, you mentioned Paul Greengrass and Michael Mann as a, you know, would be interesting to see their takes mm-hmm. on uh on slavery. It just there's just like a whole lot of drama that comes with wanting to make a representation of uh of slavery back then. I mean just I mean, I remember I then like Norman Jewison who wanted to be the guy that wanted to do a movie about Malcolm X and everybody was up and on just like yeah you know, Spike Lee had to do the Malcolm X movie and so just like and like I'm saying just it, it is a um, you know not exactly a big market for slavery right movie wise and everything just it kind of like you know depends you have to pick like you know pick your spots pick the the, the best story you can make and just hope that hopefully that it'll come out in the fall so it can be up for Oscar <laughs> Awards contention, <laughs> right? Like shit, like that. It's you know, it's, it's kind of like early this year when it when it came out with forty two, like the Jackie Robinson movie, and it's mm-hmm. just hey, you know that was interesting, but like I don't know if anybody is it is going to catch a larger audience because it's about Jackie Robinson or ain't or anything, right? But yeah, I, I'm just excited by the prospect that now we've had two films about slavery back to back, so maybe that means this subject is no longer completely taboo well and it also comes on the heels of the new york times even did an article about this about how this was the year of black film because you also have something like fruitville station you had 42 you have um, best man holiday and more stuff coming up black nativity and a few other things as well medea christmas well that too but (laughs) that's kind of like clockwork already but like it's exciting that these other filmmakers are getting out there in like what's usually doesn't get to happen. And the fact that we can talk more than just about one black film for the year. Right. But that's, it's like every 20 years, uh, people are reminded that black people make movies too. <laughs> hey, we haven't even gotten to the Latin people yet. Nobody knows we make films. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like when, uh, kind of like when Halle Berry and Denzel both won at the Oscars. Yeah. And people yeah. were like, Oh Yeah. This was the year of the black actor. True story. When that when that when that happened that night at the Oscars, because like it was Halle Berry won Best Actress, Denzel won Best Actor, and Denzel and then Sidney Poitier won a Lifetime Achievement mm-hmm. Award that night. Yes. And then my <laughs> my grandmother yelled from her room, "Craig, we did it!" Like, okay, we did we did. It. <laughs> I don't know, we did. But, uh, all right, if you want to say we did it, it was like. It's like it's like when OJ got acquitted. Just like black people were were celebrating it. Just uh, all right, it, it, it guess <laughs> guess something better than nothing. But yeah, it's like when uh, twenty years ago when there's like the big black new wave when it was Spike and Singleton and Hughes brothers and Hudlin yeah. brothers, and that was a big thing. Like black black people making movies until they made like their second film, mm. and, and it was just like black people saw it. And, um, 
uh, white people weren't really into it all that much. So just like this Hollywood just keeps after or or Hollywood as my friend Odie uh, Henderson I think believe puts it, <laughs> where yeah. just like have to remind that you know that black people are out there you know making movies, starring movies, and and it's like as we talked with the Best Man Holiday, I just. It's like a movie directed by, written and directed by a black man, starring a small black mm-hmm. cast, and kicked Thor's ass on Friday night. So <laughs> it just shows you that you know that there is an audience for this stuff, and even I'm, I'm sure even white people would be wouldn't be uh, mm-hmm. that scared to go to, to theaters to see black movies or what, or go to mm-hmm. the black theater in the area to see the black movie. So it's just like a continual mm-hmm. thing. Which it's not just movies about slavery, just like just movies with black people involved in it. Mm. Yeah, we have to get over this hump mm-hmm. where for some reason when white people or when see black people on the screen or black people a black movie that the first thought is, oh that's for black people. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wouldn't know anything about that. Or even a mm-hmm. la- Latin Latino movie or la- mm-hmm. or a, with Latin uh actors made by a Latin uh Latin filmmaker that they oh that's for Latino people, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be into that. And just, just like movies can be universal for everybody. It just like it doesn't it just just because it has certain mm-hmm. people in it that uh that you be you be you wouldn't know anything about that. I mean, one of my favorite movies the last couple of years was The Separation, mm-hmm. and that was I believe uh, from uh, from Middle East as uh, Iranian. It was Iranian. Iranian and just, yeah. like, it was, and I watched that movie and just like that movie. I got a lot more out of that movie. That movie spoke to me more than most of the movies I saw that year, because it just had this 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 general sense of the the, the characters that mm-hmm. were that were doing stuff in that movie. I could I could identify with that because even though even though they're far away from another country, you know, I can sympathize with what they were going through and what was happening with them. So, I mean, it could touch you. You know, I even though I'm you know I've I've said my have my problems with the French over the years. Yeah, you know, the lot of French movies, like lot like Summer Hours and stuff like that. Just I've been a fan. I even enjoyed the three hour lesbian movie. Mm-hmm. Those parts that didn't go on all the damn time. <laughs> so just you know, we need to get over this thing where just like we'll get we scared like has to be this this you know it only appeals to that audience or that demographic. Just you know, people have to realize that even though it's outside your comfort zone, doesn't mean that you may not sympathize with it or even get a positive reaction out of it. So. Right. Definitely, definitely. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about regarding Twelve Years a Slave is uh, Alfred Woodard's in this movie. Uh, she has a very small role. She's in one scene uh, where she basically tells Patsy, "Hey, you can use this to your advantage. You can use the fact that the master is attracted to you to to your advantage." It was a really interesting scene. I found myself wishing that the film had done a little bit more with that, but maybe that wasn't the story this movie wanted to tell. Actually, I think the movie does go about telling that story because I mean, within as you know, the whole movie is about Solomon trying to acclimate himself into the slavery scheme of things in order to survive. I think that was the same thing that Alfred Woodard was telling uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character that just have to you know you have to. Use it to his uh, advantage if you want to just uh, survive. I think the whole thing—the whole thing—is is just about survival in a sense. Whether it's black man or black woman trying to pick up something in order to just just persevere mm-hmm. in this era, in this in this in this world. Mm-hmm. Even though the the uh, 
you know, the perspective on the film is always um, focused on uh, Solomon. It doesn't mean that doesn't touch upon a lot of other characters. And, and even with Alfred Woodard's character, because that's exactly what she did. She ended up uh, hooking, hooking up with a white uh, plantation owner, and, you know, that was her mode of survival. And I think that what she's trying to tell both of them during mm-hmm. that scene. I think because, you know, and I think that that nailed that message right there. Well, it also reminded me of uh, getting back to, to Django. I mean, you had the character of Steven in that film, and it seems like both of these movies bring up the fact that, you know, within slavery, there were different classes of slaves, which seems almost strange to think about nowadays. It's one of the topics related to slavery that I think could allow for some more nuance. How so in, in terms of nuance? Well, just in the sense that it doesn't just boil it down to slaves good, slave masters bad, you know. And it, it allows for, I think, a more, I don't want to say three-dimensional look at it, but just that idea that there was a class system developed. Well, the social hierarchy within... Right. The system. Right. That certain people were rewarded more for one thing or another. Right. Right. And so, I mean, it, it, compared to something like uh, getting back to Django, and, you know, in that film, you had the character of Steven, who was very much not a sympathetic figure at all. Whereas in the case of uh, 12 Years a Slave, you have Alfred Woodard's character, Harriet Shaw, and she does seem a little bit more sympathetic just because you can tell, like you said, Craig, she just, you got to do what you got to do to survive. So it's not quite as, pardon the pun, it's not quite as black and white. I feel like there's more room to explore different people and different ways that people can respond to slavery. Does that make sense? Well, well, before I I say, I just say, like, you're looking for a, a, you say you're looking for a more fully rounded uh, view of slavery was, but also you're just looking for more, um, I don't know, sympathetic portrayals of uh, people within that hierarchy. Because you said, like, you mentioned, uh, you know, apart from the whole uh, slaves good, slave masters bad. And, I mean, for many, for a lot of people, a lot of people who said that Benedict Cumberbatch uh, character was a sympathetic, they, they, that actually gave kind of like a, a sympathetic view of where it wasn't just slave masters being bad, even though you perceived it as he was still being uh, an evil guy within this part of this evil system. Just saying that, I'm just trying mm-hmm. to see what exactly you're looking for, just like more fully rounded sympathetic portrayals of people, so you get like their fully uh, fully encompassing portrayal of a certain person, like say Stephen's character, Samuel Jackson's character in Django One Chan, where just like he's the house nigger, but, he, but he's a, he has a house nigger with layers. Maybe it's just... As a white guy, or I haven't seen the the right movies or whatever, I feel like I haven't seen very many things in pop culture that focus on that social hierarchy among slaves. Yeah, and that and because I haven't been exposed to that, I don't know a lot about it. I find that interesting. I, I want to see more about that, if that makes sense. Just because just because I I'm not as informed about that and the dynamics and and how that worked as just slavery in general. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's those more specific examples of how slavery functioned and how people responded to it that interests me. Not like I'm looking for a more sympathetic portrayal of a certain type of character. I just want to see more focus on those types of characters. I don't know if there's going to be uh, a, a large uh, outcry for movies geared towards 
that type of character, like, because you know, if you you wanna you wanna easily insult uh, black people, not, not only just call him a nigger, call him a, a house nigger, which is kind of like right. those are like they're like those are the ones that wanted to you know appeal to the masses and just say you know just like you know be up to the big house and everything and just so they wouldn't have to work out in the fields. And so, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's been any examples of that. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if you call Mandingo house nigger movie. I don't know. Any else saw, you saw Mandingo? I have not seen Mandingo. Yeah, I'm, I remember a couple of years ago I was talking with some guys and just, like, talk about that whole, you know, where does Mandingo lie in the whole slavery, black exploitation movie strata, you know, because I remember I saw that when I was in high school years ago and it just was just like, ah, it's one of those movies where you just, like, you know, don't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> you know, it's funny when, when ever since you brought up Paul Greengrass and Michael Mann, <laughs> I do now want to see what type of slavery movie would those two guys like Paul Greengrass, especially for some reason, like just just seeing Shaky Cam out in the cotton fields. I so want to see that now. <laughs> it would be, I mean, if, if, you, if you thought the uh, the whipping scenes in 12 Years a Slave were intense, just wait until you got yeah, all the just... shaky cam and, oh. <laughs> like, like, I can't, like, it would be, like, from the pers- from the perspective of the whip. That's it, just be shaking and everything. It's like. Wow. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, you'd, instead of a car chase, it would just be a foot chase. <laughs> And yeah, oh yeah. trying to run away and it'd be the shaky cam everywhere. Oh man. Camera jumping all over the place and just <laughs> But yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm interested in the in the class dynamics as well as the yeah. racial dynamics. I, I was just about to say, yeah, so this is so this is just like interclass conflict. Right. Mm-hmm. How class intersects with racial dynamics and how class can in some situations uh surpass racial bonds. Well, I mean, I think one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite sociology books is that the myth of America being a classless system is, you know, obviously false. Mm. Um, Because that interclass conflict goes to, like, obviously Britain, it goes to all of Europe, it goes into India with the caste system, and there's different qualifiers for each of those cultures. So... Mm. It's the same thing here. You have a class system within a class system. Right. Because of that separation of black and white. But do you find, Monica, that, uh, that you know, class is something? Because, you know, it's, I, I do mean it's like it's more obvious in the UK and other parts of the world than it is here in America. I mean, you think it would be mm. even register with American audience, even though it is, you, you have a point, it is such, class is such a, is a major part of our society here. Yeah, I mean, there's, just consider the fight between old money and new money, like the Kennedys were looked down upon when they first became, like, really famous on the political stage because they were considered new money as being part of the bootleggers. They weren't, like, the Carnegies and the Rockefellers and stuff like that. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of how it is in contemporary society because we just... Yeah, you know, it doesn't even hit us that it is that it is mostly a class thing. Yeah, and even the way that we consider like our celebrities, somehow Paris Hilton gets a little bit more of a pass because she comes from old money or so, or an established family, as opposed to like the Kardashians. And I would consider that. I mean, me personally, not classy at all. But oh, you're classy, you know, lady. The way that people would rank them. But but it's, it's, <laughs> people, it's funny like, you mentioned that because I was thinking like the like for a lot of people. 
the Kardashians would be seen as the 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 hot, more higher family, even though like the Hiltons are more the having the you know the history of of uh, you know entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and whatever. But a lot, a lot of people uh, seem to emulate would yeah. be more more privy to emulate the Kardashians. But of course, because of course they're on TV. Well, and we have the funny thing of. In America, the uh, trends that sometimes become popular are taken from black culture or or appropriated from Native American culture, you know, different things. We pick and choose what we want. And sometimes it's not what, you know, richy rich people are wearing. It's not the pantsuits from Hillary Clinton. It's, you know, the short cutoffs, the Daisy Dukes and things like that. But you find that to be a more of a black culture thing than just like just with the the picking and the choosing. No, no, I'm saying that the American culture tends to go through all the different other cultures and subcultures oh, yeah, that we definitely. have in yeah. our country and pick and choose what's popular and what's not popular. You know, again, and like the, right now we're going through the appropriation of ratchet culture, and a lot of people oh. are kind of like shaking their head, like, "Oh, why is that?" But that's been going on, you know, even before in the '90s, when white kids were appropriating rap culture. And even before that, in rock and roll, you had white kids appropriating black mm-hmm. music. Yeah, because twerking has been it around for years. If you've been to a strip club in the 90s, you know that twerking isn't anything <laughs> new. But, you know, apparently now Miley Cyrus attempted to do it, and now it's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody twerk here? Is any twerkers up in the house? Just... <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm not answering. Really? That. Okay, so, like... You... <laughs> you drank some. You drank some cider or something, and next thing you know, you'd be be twerking it. Well, because I I study dance, and my the dances that I I love to study more are Latin oh. music and stuff like that, and that crosses over into calypso and dancehall yeah. and things like that. Why do they do they twerk in those things? It is a form of twerking. Oh, okay. But... For, those different forms of twerking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, there's. It's not. It's, Sorry, it's not have, just no. the regular twerking. <laughs> By the way, you still listen to the Gap Band. Why when you when you, when you dancing? Just... Oh. <laughs> when I'm in a funk mood. <laughs> yeah, I need a textbook or something. The 15 different types of twerking. You know, yeah, I mean, just break them all down. I, uh, we have Latin rap, so you know it, it kind of gets mixed all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we talk about twerking more? <laughs> <laughs> Craig's fascinated. <laughs> you know what? Twelve Years a Slave was missing. No. <laughs> oh yeah. Scene where somebody was making their booty clap. <laughs> make that booty clap. Make the booty clap. <laughs> Just have that on repeat. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Spring breakers on repeat. Brain break. All right. Is there anything else that either of you would like to say about 12 Years a Slave other than, hey, needed more twerking? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm. I'm I'm starting to wonder like it w- if it will still have you know as much of a resonance uh, when you know of course uh, the Oscars start all the awards start coming in like I I you know because of course like everybody was saying at you know Telluride and uh, Toronto oh it's gonna take all the Oscars but of course we got we got the gravity everybody you know mm-hmm. oh just American blew, Blew, blew everybody the hell away at the gravity or like the Wolf of Wall Street that's coming and then like and now like people yeah. are going on about Matthew McConaughey's performance in Dallas Buyers Club so it's like the onslaught is happening and just makes me wonder where and you know how everybody has short attention spans kind of wonder if, if <laughs> 12 Years a Slave will still resonate with audiences with people in general the, the same way 
that did a couple of months ago. Well, I think that's the biggest measure of what makes a movie great is that, yes, it's a great film, then plus time. You have yeah. to add time. I think, like, it's, oh, I hate when people, like, greatest movie ever, straight when they come out of the movie theater, because you don't know if you're actually going to remember it, or if it's really going to stick around, if it's going to resonate with people. I think it's always too soon to call, especially, right. like, Oscar season. It's the worst time to listen to anybody on this. Right, and, and that's why I find myself feeling a little bit skeptical whenever people, I, I hear people saying, oh, you know, 12 Years a Slave, it's such an important film, it's going to go down in history as a as a landmark and a classic, and I'm a little bit skeptical of that, and honestly, I feel already like Django Unchained has had more of a cultural impact than 12 Years a Slave. You love the hell out that movie. <laughs> I didn't love that movie. That's not one of not one of my favorite Tarantino films. I think I def, I liked it more than you, Craig. I, I know I remember that. But just in terms of the conversations people were having and the things people were writing about Django Unchained after that movie came out, I feel like the conversation was a lot more varied and vibrant than I've seen after Twelve Years a Slave. Well, because it's it's Tarantino, man. Just like anytime Tarantino, <laughs> right, right? Tarantino is like the the geek film geek god and so whenever he <laughs> drops a movie people always go into all the fanboys go into hyperdrive or anything like what does this mean and it was everything so of course you're going to get a lot more uh talk coming out from that movie as opposed to something like 12 years a slave because i mean it's, it's like this 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 black guy from europe just made this movie as opposed mm-hmm. to the dude who from the video store who 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 is who is digested all these movies and just and just uh, regurgitate them all out on screen. So and of course, it, so many people emulate them. So of course, people are going to talk about that more than Twelve Years a Slave. I mean, I, but then again, like as you say, Twelve Years a Slave just came out yesterday. So I know, kind of as Monica was saying, just like it kind of depends on how time will handle it. Right. Right. I, I, I'm just saying when you're getting into the conversations about, oh, how important is this movie? And, and historically speaking, how will it be remembered? Obviously, it's it's silly to predict things like that. I'm just saying if I had to predict right now, I get the impression Django Unchained made more of a mark. It's silly, but I'm still going to predict. <laughs> yes, it's silly, but I, but if I had to predict. All right. <laughs> And, and the idea of the important movie is so subjective in and of itself. I mean, I can I can right. give you. Li- I think I think the Redford movie All Is Lost. I think that's an important movie. Yeah. Would people mm-hmm. agree with me? I don't think so. So just like it's it's all a subjective thing, just uh, depending upon. A lot of people say Gravity is an important movie because uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock are up in space. But you know, apart from that, just you know, <laughs> everybody's you know. It, people's important idea of an important movie is subjective you know a guy was in my ear last night at a bar saying dude you should watch you should go see Watchmen <laughs> it's the it's the it's the greatest comic book movie of all time and I'm just like yeah, I, no. I don't know like, I'm just saying in like in terms of in terms of what college kids in 50 years are going to be reading about in their film textbooks will 12 years a slave be mentioned I don't know I love how you meant think that like a lot of People in fifty years are gonna go to college. (laughs) (laughs) I love that optimism. (laughs) That is a very good point. All right. Well, I think that that'll wrap it up for uh, for part two of our discussion of Twelve Years a Slave here on Cinema Fix. Uh, Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing The Hunger Games: Catching Fire. Oh yeah, Catching Fire. 
Oh, I get yeah. it. Something's going to be ignited. You're not actually going to catch the fire in your your hands. I don't know why I thought that. It's catch fire in your heart or something. All right. Well, well uh, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. Let us know. What did you think of 12 Years a Slave? Is it a good film? Is it an important film? Will people be talking about this movie in 50 years? Does it matter? And does it need more twerking? Oh, my God. Does it need more twerking? (laughs) Yes. The dance sequence that Epps makes them do. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's what was missing. Now we know how Alfred Woodard got to where she was. That was awkward. But I, uh... <laughs> too, took it too far? Okay. Hey. Ah, hey, we... I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> what? Nah, keep it in. This is real life, goddammit. Cinema Verte in podcast form. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you can subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our two new uh, TV-themed podcasts. We've got The Briefing Room, which is all about the third season of Homeland, and uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, which is all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. Uh, Craig, it's been great having you back on. We're going to have to have you on at some point in the future to talk about a movie that isn't about slavery. Yeah, exactly. Something with the... Greta Gerwig in it or something. Oh. <laughs> yes. Francis Ha movie. Goofy hipster region. Wait, her is coming up. We could do her. Oh, yeah, her. Yeah, just man fall in love with a, with a voice. I lo- yeah, I love to see that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, where can people find more of your work? First of all, will you have to beep the hell out of me again? Because like, I've just been freely uh cursing all over the place and i just like <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fine well i'll just put the explicit tag at itunes you can curse as much as you feel like <laughs> oh thanks well thanks i try not to but i just like there's some parts where just like you have to say shit at some point we're talking about slavery so yeah, exactly. it's gotta happen all oh, this slavery shit jesus yeah but uh yeah you can uh catch me um uh just 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 google uncle Crizzle. My Tumblr's still on, unclecrizzle.tumblr.com. Um, I'm Twitter, Uncle Crizzle. I just set up a uh, Contently portfolio, which is unclecrizzle.contently. So you know, if anybody wants to hire me for anything, just go on Uncle Crizzle. LinkedIn, <laughs> Uncle Crizzle. Uh, my, my podcast is still around for some stupid reason, uh, unclecrizzle.tumblr.com. No, unclecrizzle.potomatic. Dot com that's still out there and you know just uh just just holler at it brother because you know it's the holidays and i get very lonely you know i'm just gonna be up in the the, the apartment either eating turducken or or tofurkey so you know just let brother know you care that's all i'm saying <laughs> right and and your podcast is an interview podcast you're like the black mark Marin. <laughs> am i okay people should go check that out uh you want to tell them the name uh motherfuckers i know <laughs> Is M U H F asterisk 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 A S I know, and I've interviewed you too, which was which was lovely. Uh, Monica, you got you got more plays and downloads yeah. than Andrew. But other than that, oh man, it was great having both of y'all do that thing. It was just lovely. You got to have me back on now, so uh, 
Okay. Well, round two. Round two. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Well, we'll we'll see you in the coming year. <laughs> I'll I'll twerk some more, and then that'll increase my yes. my pay my views my listens. Which is just what I want to see in the child molester basement. <laughs> that is uh, twerking in the child molester basement with Andrew Johnson. Brought to you by Calvin Klein jeans. <laughs> Oh man, I, I, that's gonna be Film Geek Radio's new podcast right there. It'll be a, it'll oh, be a video yeah. cast. Uh, that's a vine. <laughs> oh, oh, do it for the vine. <laughs> Monica, where can people find more of your work? People can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcasti movies. That's M C A S T I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. I'm managing editor of MovieMezzanine.com. You can find my movie reviews there. You can also find some of my TV writing over at Pathios.com on the blog Center Meditations. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message. Let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and fighting racism. Please, everywhere you see it. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!